Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour One. Hello, America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number 877-973-7425. Two days away from the gathering in Atlanta. Look forward to seeing so many of you there. Uh, I want to begin finally. I've thought about it enough. I, I, I can comment on this, I think. Put some thought into everything before I want to say anything. Let me read you a headline. This is from Redfin. First-time buyers need to earn 13% more than a year ago to afford the typical American starter home. Philip put this data together. It's in the show notes. If you text data to 33777, you can get it. 47% of credit card holders currently carry debt from month to month, up from 39% in December of 2021. 60% of Americans have credit card debt, uh, and they've carried it for more than a year, with an average monthly interest rate now of 22.59%. $1,600 is the average monthly mortgage payment for a starter home in the U.S. following a 13% increase from last year. $402,600 is the median home price after the U.S. housing market saw a record price increase last month. 50% fewer affordable houses are on the market today than in 2012. 23% more is is what you'll pay for the grocery store compared to pre-COVID prices. $709 more per month is what the average household will pay for standard goods and services compared to two years ago. 37% is the number of Americans who feel very confident about reaching their retirement goals. That's down from 53% in 2021. So post-COVID 2021, 53% of Americans thought they'd reach their retirement goals. It is now two years later in 2023, 37%. That's Bidenomics. Into this mix comes this song on the right, Richmond North of Richmond. I've got to tell you, the title of the song alone is priceless. It's the perfect encapsulation, this Virginia farmer. I'm not an overwhelming fan of the song just as a song. I, I think it brings in too many contemporary things like Epstein and stuff like that. I mean, it's certainly a song for the times, but it doesn't have lasting value because of that. Um, But the song is good. I mean, it's a good song. I'm not a huge fan of the song, but I recognize it. I got to tell you, though, the guy's voice is incredible. He has an authentic, incredible voice. This guy who's a farmer in Virginia. And this song resonated with a lot of people on the right. And as this country defines itself more by what the other side likes or hates, uh, the left has come out, they vilified the guy, they've tried to attack the guy, they've tried to assassinate his character, uh, all because he wrote a song that has resonated with people on the right. And when you listen to the words, there's actually a, a center-left populism to it more than a center-right populism. It is a a uh, big government help me sort of song. Uh, you're helping everybody else. You're, the rich men north of Richmond are taking care of themselves. It, it's, it is... An incredible song, uh, timely written, um, and I think that it is evocative of the times we're in. Um, it, it's a song that galvanizes 
a lot of people. I can't play it for you because of the language in it, frankly. I've been selling my soul working all day, overtime hours for BS pay, so I can sit out here and waste my life away, drag back home and drown my troubles away. It's a shame what the world's gotten to for people like me and people like you. Wish I could wake up and it not be true, but it is, oh, it is. Living in the new world with an old soul, these rich men north of Richmond, Lord knows they all just want to have total control. Want to know what you think, want to know what you do, and they don't think you know, but I know that you do because your dollar ain't poop, and it's taxed to no end. Rich because of rich men north of Richmond. I wish I wish politicians would look out for miners, not just some miners on an island somewhere. Lord, we got folks in the street, ain't got nothing to eat, and the obese milk and welfare. Well, God, if you're five foot three and you're 300 pounds, taxes ought not to pay for your bag of fudge rounds. Young men are putting themselves six feet in the ground because all this country does is keep on kicking them down. That's part of the lyrics of Richmond, North of Richmond. He's, of course, accused of being uh, fat shaming. He is accused of making bad choices in life that got him there. I, I, I did see a friend say, you know, he's a Scotch Irishman from Appalachia. They've been complaining about this sort of stuff since before the revolution. Is it really a problem at this point? There is a problem, though. And this guy is reflecting it. And one of the problems that he gets to is the title of the song, Rich Men North of Richmond. Do you know the longest unbroken chain of wealthy census tracts in this country runs the Acela Corridor from Washington to Boston? You have more connected, well-off zip codes there. You can travel from one census tract to the next, all the way from Washington to Boston, and never have to encounter a poor person. You're in extremely wealthy areas. People on the right talk about the Acela Corridor. It's the high-speed Amtrak train that a lot of people take from Washington to New York. It goes all the way to Boston. And I've been on that train. I've sat in first class on that train between New York and Washington doing media interviews, traveling between the two. And it is another world. It is a cocooned bubble. You don't have to get off the train. You don't have to see the poor people even when you pull into the train station downtown. And it is those people between New York and Washington and really all the way up to Boston who set so much of our public policy, and they live in a world where they never have to encounter the real world. Americans are deeply concerned about the border, and they're deeply concerned about the fentanyl crisis. On the Acela line, you don't have to worry about those things. And again, it's the title of the song, Richmond, North of Richmond. Our country's elite, north of Richmond, Virginia, Washington, D.C., up to Boston, set so much of the public policy in this country, the people in Ohio, the people in Appalachia, the people in Iowa, the people in Nevada, the people in Texas, the people in Georgia, the people in Florida, deeply impacted by the fentanyl crisis in poor towns across America. And the rich people on the Acela Corridor are the least impacted by it. Is it any wonder they don't care to close the border? 
Is it any wonder there's a high proportion of cities in that corridor that declared themselves sanctuary cities? And now with the illegal aliens all showed up, they're like, oh my gosh, we can't, we can't handle this. Never mind that Texas was having to handle it. Now they're like, we, we can't actually be. They wanted to be sanctimonious cities. They didn't actually want to be sanctuary cities. They wanted to preach values they did not have to live. Now there is, if we're truthful about it, a corollary here. A lot of the people who complain about their lot in life failed at life through their own decision-making and want to blame someone else. It's very true. We live in a nation now where victimhood identifies too many people and too many people embrace it. You've made terrible decisions at life. It's got to be someone else's fault, not your own. You failed at life and you want to blame someone else for your own failures. So why conspiracy theories are so much on the rise these days. Surely it's got to be a shadowy group of Illuminati who ruined my life as opposed to myself and my life choices. But the government at the bureaucratic level and at the elected level on both the Republican side and the Democratic side doesn't really seem to appreciate what's happening in the heartland. If I could just just pound a drum constantly on one issue, it's that the cultural and the economic issues in this country are the same right now. Why are so many Americans having to rely on credit cards right now? Because the cost of living. Why are so many people struggling to make ends meet in this country? Because the cost of living. Why are so many people in this country having to rent apartments and be denied the American dream of home ownership because the cost of living? Why are Americans cutting back on their charitable giving and their political giving because of the cost of living? You want your kid to get a good education. You can't send your kid to public school. You got to pay for private school, even though your tax dollars are going to public school. In Cobb County, Georgia, a teacher who has had a series of problems over the years, including of late, uh, trying to indoctrinate kids by reading a book on transgenderism, which she even denies that that's really what it's about, though it is explicitly so. Last year, read a book by Stacey Abrams in the middle of the political campaign season, claimed that was nothing either. Uh, the, the board, uh, the, the review board on her said, oh, yeah, let her back in. They, they maligned parents who were in the hearing. They criticized parents. There, there's a history of this teacher having problems beyond just this past year. But the educators protected the educator, not the kids. And they didn't listen to the taxpaying parents who pay the bills. For the last several years, we've had educators lecture the parents who are technically their employers that the parents are too stupid to weigh in on what should go on in schools. They want the money. The government will throw you in jail or mortgage your house or auction your house off if you don't pay it. And you get no input in the schools. You're supposed to shut your mouth and take it. And when your child comes home lecturing you on the gender unicorn and your bigotry, you're not supposed to wonder what happened. You're supposed to say, I'm sorry. Sorry, I'll embrace your new pronouns. And if you don't want it, you still have to pay the taxpayer dollars, but then you got to take your kid and homeschool your kid or private school your kid to get a good education. The public schools are failing. Crime in your cities continues to increase. And the Democrats tell you you're racist if you're worried about it. Meanwhile, it's the poor black and Hispanic neighborhoods that are overridden with crime and people aren't safe and kids are getting shot. And it's the gun's fault, not the criminal's fault. It's why a song like Richmond North of Richmond resonates. 
And it's striking that the response from the left is not to try to understand the issue, but to attack the singer and to criticize the people who like the song, that it's not really good. So I have a friend, his name is Steve Pinley. Some of you are familiar with him. Steve Pinley paints beautiful paintings. We have several in our home. Steve Pinley is a great artist. He's he's brilliant. The, the guy is a genius. His mind moves so fast. And he paints so fast. He, he painted me a portrait of Abraham Lincoln, and it looks black and white until you get up to it and you realize all the color in it. It's a remarkable work of art. Do you know that they, a, a newspaper did a profile of him? What was so funny is that the the professors of art in colleges who were on the left, they, they, they didn't like his work. They criticized his work, not because of the value and the aesthetic of his work, but because he's a conservative. They couldn't bring themselves to honestly understand why people like his work, beautiful works of art, because he's a conservative. So they don't want to understand you. And these are the people not just in elected office, they're the people in the bureaucracy. The bureaucrats are liberal as well. So you have a guy who produces a song like Richmond North of Richmond, who is explicitly uh, of the right, populist though he may be. Someone like Steve Pinley who paints these gorgeous works of art and they can get no credit. They can, they can get no affirmation from the community of artists around them because the artists are so on the left. They can't appreciate the work and the government can't appreciate you. Your cost of living is going up. Your schools are failing. Your cities are overwhelmed with crime. And the government's response, the liberal elite's response, the media's response, the Brahmin class of America and the Acelador Corridor's response is, it's your fault. It's your fault. It's not their fault. We used to have people who could rise to the upper echelons of society because of their success. Their kids now inhabit the upper echelons of success, and they're drug-addled man-whores who don't do anything right and screw up constantly and take no ownership of it and don't admit they were ever wrong, and uh, they're, they're full of broken families and broken homes and drug addiction and, and, and Harvard degrees, and they think that they deserve to be at the upper echelons of society, and they've reordered society to ensure you can never take them out and replace them, and then they tell you that everything is your fault, not their fault. Is it any wonder our society is just seething underneath the surface with rage about what's going on? It's fixable, but not by the present people in charge. I am a small businessman. The company that I run for my radio show, it's a small business. I've got employees. I don't have HR. You may be in that situation and you may really need HR. Well, you may want to talk to Bambi. When running a business, your employees can create all sorts of interesting situations and they could get you in trouble. What happens when two employees are squabbling? One of them smells bad all the time. What do you do? How do you navigate the rules? With Bambi, you get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 a month. They're available by phone, email, real-time chat. Onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance. Your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. Let Bambi handle your employees for you. Their HR autopilot automates important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Listen, you want 
U.S.-based HR managers who give you experience, expertise, a personal touch you need to make it seem like they're a part of your team. They can cost eighty grand a year, but Bambi starts at $99 a month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Go to Bambi.com right now. Type in Eric Erickson under podcast when you sign up. It'll help you. It'll help your company grow. It'll help you keep peace of mind. It's spelled B-A-M-B-E-E. Bam. B-E-E dot com. Bambi.com. Type in Eric Erickson. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, you know, I, I speaking of all this stuff that's going on in the country right now, uh, I want to read you this. This is from Gumps. Now, I assumed it was like, Forest Gump, uh, but no, Gumps. Uh, it is a department store in San Francisco. This is their open letter in the newspaper. This is an open letter to get Governor Newsom, Mayor Breed, and the San Francisco Board of Advisors. Gumps has been a San Francisco icon for more than 165 years. Today, as we prepare for our 166th holiday season at 250 Post Street, we fear this may be our last because of the profound erosion of the city's current conditions. San Francisco now suffers from a tyranny of the minority, behavior and actions of the few that jeopardize the livelihood of the many. The ramifications of COVID policies advising people to abandon their offices are only beginning to be understood Equally devastating have been a litany of destructive San Francisco strategies, including allowing the homeless to occupy our sidewalks, to openly distribute and use illegal drugs, to harass the public and to defile the city streets. Such abject disregard for civilized conduct makes San Francisco unlivable for its residents, unsafe for our employees, and unwelcoming to visitors from around the world. San Francisco deserves better than the current condition of our city. Gump implores the governor, the mayor, and the city supervisors to take immediate action, including cleaning the streets, removing homeless encampments, enforcing city and state ordinances, and returning San Francisco to its rightful place as one of America's shining beacons of urban society. Wow. That's in San Francisco. People are finally waking up. Maybe it's too late, though. It's not too late for you to move your business to Patriot Mobile and fight for the conservative movement. You can go to PatriotMobile.com slash Eric today. PatriotMobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. Move your cell phone service to them. You can take your existing number to them. You're going to get guaranteed great service. They use the same cell towers you're probably already using anyway. And then they take a portion of their profits and fund the causes you care about on the right and the candidates you care about as well. You can also call them 972-PATRIOT. You tell them I sent you. And you get uh, free activation with my name. You also get great discounts. You're a veteran, a first responder, and an RA member. Got a lot of lines because you got a lot of kids in your house, and you're there at the cell phone age, and you need to pay. Well, they can help you at Patriot Mobile. And then you're doing business with a company that shares your values. PatriotMobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K or 972-PATRIOT. If you go to PatriotMobile.com slash Eric, you can put in your address, zoom down to your house. See how, for yourself how good the 5G, the data, of the voice, everything else is. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric or call them 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you get free activation. Do business with a cell phone company that shares your values and fights for the causes you care about. Did you know China has made it a priority to teach students financial literacy starting in preschool? Financial literacy isn't taught in our elementary schools, and parents lack the resources to teach it at home. American kids are yet again being left behind. Now there's a great way for parents and grandparents to help the kids they love learn about finance, thanks to the sensibles. And at bcs-kids.com. 
The Sensibles are a team of animated superheroes who help kids age 6 to 12 develop smart money habits in a fun way. BCS-Kids.com was created to channel this multimedia resource to kids everywhere. Buy a subscription for your loved ones, and each month, they'll get a Sensibles kit in the mail with an entertaining DVD, comic book, and activities. Digital subscriptions are also available. They'll also get access to an interactive website with a library of lessons, fun activities, and more. Want 20% off the monthly subscription costs? Visit at bcs-kids.com. Enter the promo code ERIC, my name, E-R-I-C-K. It's the sensible thing to do. Subscribe today at bcs-kids.com. Hi there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, I just got an email from Paul up at our affiliate WICC in Connecticut, uh, and he sent me this regarding the Richmond North of Richmond song. He said the progressives are angry at at Connecticut Senator Chris Murphy um, because he suggested uh, listening to the song. This is from uh, where's the this is from the Huffington Post. Senator Chris Murphy has lately expressed interest in using left populism to head off the right's appeal. Senator Chris Murphy raised some eyebrows on Monday when he recommended that progressives keep an open mind about Richmond North of Richmond, the country song by Oliver Anthony that became an overnight hit among conservatives. In a video now viewed millions of times, Anthony's acoustic ballad expresses anger with a life dedicated by overtime hours for BS pay while government officials in Washington saddle workers with too high taxes that finance the obese milk and welfare. Murphy did not endorse Anthony's vitriol for welfare recipients or taxes, but instead suggested progressives should listen to the song because it's just a good tune and because it could provide insight into the anti-elite sentiment fueling right-wing populism. Murphy, a mainstream progressive known for dovish foreign policy views and stricter gun control, replied to his uh, first post with a second message linking left-wing labor reporter Hamilton Nolan's essay about the song. Nolan, like Murphy, maintains Anthony's giving voice to legitimate anger while identifying the wrong culprits. The capitalist class relies on workers pointing the finger at government programs and welfare recipients so that popular rage can flow away from the rich, according to Nolan. Don't agree with all of Nolan's piece, Murphy wrote, but he does a good job at identifying the problems with the song's focus on taxes and food stamps as the primary enemy. The explanation wasn't enough to assuage Murphy's mostly left-of-the-center critics, who expressed indignation at the suggestion that the song had even accidental political merit. It certainly didn't help that Murphy registered his commentary by quoting far right-wing influencer Benny Johnson. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so they're they're mad. They're mad at Senator Murphy for quoting anyone on the right and for listening to the song. Now, here's the thing. Uh, I disagree with Senator Murphy on a great many things. But uh, trying to get people on his side to understand the other side uh, is probably worth the left paying attention to. I have a piece this morning. I wasn't going to talk about it, but I I think, um, Paul, this is all your fault. (laughs) 
Uh, so if, if you go to my sub, just, it's, I mean, text data to 33777, you, you can get it. I think both sides are radicalizing each other and don't even realize it because they don't have as much in common anymore. They don't hang out with each other. Um, I So the theologian Tim Keller died, and there's this controversy uh, among some people who I think are too online uh, and too partisan in their, even in their faith outlook who believe that it, it's an abomination that Christianity Today allowed Francis Collins of the National Institutes of Health to uh, write a piece memorializing his friend Tim Keller and how awful it is that Tim Keller was friends with a guy like Francis Collins. Uh, now, for those of you who don't know, Francis Collins, the head of the National Institute of Health, has funded a lot of things that I vehemently disagree with. Some people on the right uh, call him evil. Uh, I'm not going to do that. Um, I know enough about the situation of their friendship that I don't feel at liberty to speak about that shapes my view. But, I mean, people are just horrified. How dare you let him? This is just so you understand what the peace in Christianity today is about. It's Francis Collins who helped Tim Keller get into experimental treatment programs for pancreatic cancer and documents what that fight for cancer against cancer was like for a famous theologian who even struggling and in agony was trying to help other people. That That's the entirety of the article. It's not about Francis Collins, his views, his beliefs, anything. It is, I watched my friend die, and even while suffering and dying, he was being a faithful witness to the God he believed in. That, that's the story. And yet people are like, I can't believe they'd allow a man like that to publish it out. Well, I'm not going to read it. That's fine. I don't care. I just think you're being childish. But we're seeing this on both sides now. How dare you uh, agree with someone on the other side? How dare you try to relate to someone on the other side? I have over time, and it's realized as I've gotten older and my kids have gotten older and the stuff I've been through, I really do feel very strongly that uh, we should be at least able to understand the other side. We can disagree with them. We can think they're wrong. We can even think they're bad. But we should at least understand the way they see the world. And the pro-life movement for the longest time was the best at this. They could give the arguments of the other side better than the other side could give their own arguments. And we're getting further and further away from that. Like, for example, like I wrote this morning, I don't think the left understands, I don't think the Democratic Party understands how radicalizing it was to so many of us on the right when Barack Obama sued nuns to try to force them to pay for abortions, which so many of us, myself included, believe abortion is a euphemism for just murdering kids. It radicalized so many people. The government was trying to force nuns to kill kids, to pay for killing kids. I don't think the Democrats understand how radicalizing it is for even some black and Hispanic Democrats that right now they're trying to put boys on girls' sports teams, force this cultural transgenderism issue in schools, indoctrinate kids. It's really radicalizing for people who would otherwise be center-left Democrats. I don't think they get it. At the same time, I don't think people on the right appreciate how radicalizing it was to people on the left to see a group of people who were willing to impeach Bill Clinton over Monica Lewinsky 
embrace a guy like Donald Trump. Now, if you're on the Democratic side, you're, you're absolutely perplexed what I say about Little Sisters of the Poor, and I suspect if you're on the right, you're perplexed about what I said about people embracing Trump, and that is because neither side really understands the other side anymore. You've got to be at least able to understand the other side's arguments instead of presumptively implying or, or that they're evil or whatnot. You may think they are, but at least understand their arguments. You know, so Tim Keller, who his funeral service was yesterday, it was a beautiful service. He had this he had this belief whether whether you're 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 into faith issues or not. He believed that everybody's made in God's image. It, it's it's part of his faith tradition that everybody's made in God's image, and therefore we should be able to learn from people, even if we vehemently disagree with them. If we're to love our neighbor, we're to be our friends with them. Uh, we're to we're able to learn from the other side. We're able to learn from people with whom we have strong disagreement because if we're all reflecting God in some way, even the worst fallen among us in some way do, we should be able to find something where we learn from them. That 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 was his philosophy of life. So he had these, these great friendships with people with whom he vehemently disagreed on a host of topics. But he could understand them and he could explain their positions and many times better than they themselves could. Nobody wants to do that in this country more. We just radicalize each other. The right radicalizes the left uh, the, by, by a refusal to accept that January 6th, what happened was bad in some cases. I'll tell you how the left is radicalizing a lot of people on the right, and, and they don't even realize it. There are a lot of people on the right who do say January 6th was bad, the election wasn't stolen, Donald Trump lied about it. And yet, if you don't then say, well, I'm going to vote for Joe Biden and embrace the Democrats— uh, you're still a bad, terrible person who should be exiled from community, according to the left. Do you know how radicalizing that is to people on the right who have stood by their values and principles, said the election wasn't stolen, January 6th was bad, Donald Trump shouldn't be president again, and still you're vilified by the left because you're not going to say, well, then I guess I'm going to become a Democrat and vote for all the Democratic agenda. No, you vehemently disagree with the Democrats. That's radicalizing to a lot of Republicans who have done what they perceive as the right thing and the left still won't embrace them, which gives away the game that it's all about power acquisition on both sides these days. It's so much of it is about power acquisition. Now, this is where I get into partisan territory. I do think the left is more prone to this than the right. Look at this with Chris Murphy, senator from Connecticut, says, I don't agree really with the song, but just on its merits, you should understand why it's getting traction. We should try to figure out a way to make our progressive positions attractive to these populists who aren't really conservative. And people on the left are like, how dare you, sir? How dare you? This is the problem with progressives these days is so many of the progressives in America today really are out of touch with for lack of a better phrase, the common person. If you're a middle-class person in south of Richmond, if you're a middle-class person in Dayton, Ohio, what do you want in life? You want your kids to have a better life than you. You want your kids to get a good education. You want to be able to go on vacation. You want to be able to save for retirement. You want to be able to own your own home. And what are progressive policies doing? They're making it harder for you to even own your house. 
They're making it more expensive for you to get your kids a decent education. They're making it tougher for you to live safely in your community. They're making it more expensive for you to get to work and to buy groceries. And they're trying to force you to give up your family road trips by putting you in a battery-powered car that can't go as far unless you're paying exorbitant fees for a very expensive vehicle beyond what you can afford. And the left doesn't care because they tend to live in, in very large cities where uh, they don't have need to, to take big road trips to go on vacation. They don't want you to drive anyway. They want you to move to the city. They, they're totally fine with their kids getting indoctrinated. In fact, if anything, they think that uh, the indoctrination of the kids is important, that kids need to learn more about diversity than they do mathematics, and math is racist anyway. They don't want to understand the other side. They, they have nothing to do with the other side. They, they reject it. I mean, it, it, the data point holds true, and it holds true across pollsters. Pew Research has shown this. The Associated Press has shown this. Ipsos has shown this. Uh, the Gallup poll has shown this, that if you're a progressive, you are far less on a daily basis to encounter someone on the right than someone on the right is to encounter someone on the left. The left tends to still be clustered together more in progressive enclaves than the right. The right is spread out around the country. Now, increasingly, the right is more isolated, and increasingly, the right is is more homogenous where they live and where they work and where they think, but they still have a greater propensity to be friends with and reach out to progressives. And the problem is, if you understand the data, it's the same progressive who's friends with lots of conservatives. Uh, and a lot of progressives have isolated themselves so much they cannot relate to someone who disagrees with them. It's almost become a religious thing to them that unless you agree with them on their political tenets, you can't be their friend. You're, you're too much of a heathen. And that has profound ramifications for public policy when those progressives cluster together in the Acela Corridor from D.C. to Boston, and they set all the major public policies, control the cultural and academic institutions of the country, and they can't relate to anyone else. They begin to look so much less like everyone else. Everyone else turns on them. Thus, we arrive at the divisions in America in 2023 as we head into a presidential race. It's not a good situation. Now, one of the groups that is trying to bridge the gap and move people together and educate the left about the right and fight for the right's agenda is Americans for Prosperity. They're on a road tour across America. In fact, they're bringing their bus to the gathering uh, on, um, on a Friday and Saturday to reignite the American dream and show people how if you can neutralize the zeal of the government regulators, uh, David can actually slay Goliath and, and David can get big. Middle class and, and small mom and pop shops can grow successfully in the country without the burdens of regulation. And we can fight for free markets and free people by fighting for limited government. They want you on their team. They want to get you educated. They want you involved. All you have to do is go to americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. That's the website. You sign up. You become one of the activists. They've got over 4 million around the country fighting for free markets and free people, educating America about why Bidenomics is bad and how we can reignite the American dream. americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan across America. They can help your business grow. If your business is looking to become a bigger business, you need $250,000 or more to buy a building, build a building, grow a franchise, expand a franchise, buy out a business partner. Well, they might be able to help you. It's the sort of business they specialize in. Whether you're in Salem, Oregon, Kalispell, Montana, or Bangor, Maine, anywhere in the nation, they can help you. 
Call them, FirstLibertyGA.com. Their contact info is there, FirstLibertyGA.com. Tell them I sent you. Um, I, I, I got to say, uh, of all the bad analysis I've seen, so much of the, the analysis about the Trump indictments, this is about all I want to say on the Trump indictments today. John Heileman, who is not a Georgia lawyer, went on MSNBC, a network that lectures America on misinformation and disinformation, and said this, quote, this is the one case where Donald Trump will find it very difficult even to be given bail because of the way the law works in Georgia. We are all dumber for having heard him say that. It's why I did not play the actual audio. I do not wish you to become mentally disabled by listening to the man's actual voice saying that. It is simply not true. This man is not an expert on Georgia law and Georgia criminal proceedings, and I'm sure he talked to a progressive who told him something and he loved it, uh, whether the progressive was right or not. Uh, in fact, in Georgia, the judges do have a good bit of discretion on how they will proceed and the odds of forcing him to pay some massive amount of bail because he's not a flight risk, people. They probably will let him go without bail on his own recognizance even. Um, it, 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 it's dumb, particularly because this network lectures us so much on misinformation or disinformation to say something like that on television as if you're some sort of uh, nonpartisan, objective, unbiased person. He's not. He's a progressive. He doesn't like Donald Trump. And we should expect better from a network that wants to wring its hands about misinformation or disinformation. But the larger point here is this. So much of the commentary in the media about the Georgia indictment is a fantasy fiction for the left. It is not the strongest indictment. It's the longest indictment. It is uh, 98 pages long, far longer than Jack Smith's in Washington, which was 45 pages long. And the, the length of the indictment does not mean it's a deeper, more involved indictment. In fact, I actually think that in some cases it's going to be hard uh, for Fonnie Willis, the district attorney, to prove some of the claims made in the indictment. But you can't tell the left that because it's 98 pages long. It must be so airtight and thorough because of that. It's like people who read thick books because they think the thicker the book, the more knowledge is in it. No, sometimes it's just people are wordy and had bad editors. But they don't care, and you can't tell them because they're so out to get Donald Trump. I mean, th they're writing checks for this woman. You know when his mug shot comes out, people on the left are going to put it on T-shirts and mugs and sell it to make money. I mean, they're already putting like like doing Jack Smith bobbleheads like they did Ruth Bader Ginsburg bobbleheads. It is a cult of personality for them as well. They do not even realize it, and facts will not deter them. The fact of the matter is you're going to be hard-pressed to find a jury in North Georgia or Fulton County who want to throw in prison the former president of the United States because he listened to the advice of his lawyers. That's just the reality. But don't tell the left. They won't listen to you on that. No, no, they're convinced. They just got to find the right crime so they can put him in jail.